Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of A Mic on the Podium with me, Michael Seal. Before we start, I'd like to tell you that the new series of interviews called Is the Mic Working is now up and running over on patreon.com. Each month you will get a full-length interview with a prominent figure in the classical music world who chat with me about their experiences working with conductors. You will also get an extra episode in which I give you exclusive news about the podcast, news about my own conducting career, and lots of extra clips of music to enjoy. Just go to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com, forward slash a mic on the podium, and for the price of a glass of wine or a pint of beer, you can subscribe to this new series and lots more. Today, I conduct a conversation with a conductor who was born in the Ukraine, but now lives in Paris. He has been an assistant conductor in Hungary and music director in Germany, but is probably best known as the principal conductor of the Bournemouth Symphony Orchestra, a job he has held since 2009. It's a pleasure to welcome Kirill Karabits. Kirill, really nice to speak to you today. Yes, the same. Hello, Michael. Um, you're in Paris, I think. Uh, how are you coping with yes. lockdown and quarantine? Well, you know... That's interesting time. I yeah. think lots to think about and you know rethink uh, who you are and what you're doing and what will happen happen after it's all over. I guess. Yes. That's, are you uh, are you studying scores or are you like me? I'm not doing any of it, any of that at all. I'm just sort of. Well, I'm. Um, I mean, I'm not studying really because I'm I'm not used to study just like this. Yes, exactly. Uh, uh, I'm so used to doing something in order to uh, start rehearsing somewhere. So I'm, I sort of project myself in the school, uh, and, and see myself and prepare myself for a certain situation. I, I, it's difficult to start. But I look over some scores. Yes, I reorganized my library. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I made a, a catalog of all scores that I have here. So I looked at them. Some of them yes, some of them no. Uh, and then I, I decided which pieces I'm going to maybe look a little bit closer in, in coming years and maybe do a little bit more. Mm. Uh, you know, just general things, really. No, nothing, nothing very specific. Uh, I ought to do the same with my library. Uh, often has been the time when I've been in a shop and thought, oh, I'll buy that score. And then I get home <laughs> to discover I've already bought it twice before. <laughs> yes, yes, um, yes. I found some <laughs> the same for me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I wonder if you wouldn't mind if we could go right back. You grew up in Kiev. Um, yes. how, was, how was growing up musically and what were your experiences? Well, I mean, I, I, I was a happy uh, young musician. Well, not immediately a musician. Mm. I didn't like the music when I was six, seven or eight. Uh, partly because I was born in, in a family of musicians. My father was a famous composer in the Ukraine, so I was always considered as a son of my father. Wow. Uh, that's the reason why I, uh, when I uh, um, uh, was 16, I really decided to leave. Not yeah. because I didn't like it. I mean, I, I, I grew up uh, studying with the best people and, um, and I was lucky. Uh, um, uh, that uh, you know, our, our generation, um, people who are coming from that part of the world, we we actually um, have experienced two completely different systems. Yes. So I, I lived uh, um, now a little bit less than half of my life in a in a in, in Soviet Union, 
with completely different values, with completely different, uh, you know, views on life and what's good, what's not good, and how one should behave and what is uh, the right way of living. And, and then uh, uh, I changed my life completely and found myself in a totally different system where the values are not the same, where you shouldn't do things that you know we've learned are necessary. And, and so it, it, it's, it has been a, uh, um, you know, a, a, an important change for yes. me and, and people like me who moved uh, from east to the west. Um, although I say move or physically, I moved, but but I, I I've always kept uh, connections with Ukraine and uh, with with other Eastern European cultures uh, countries. So I I don't consider myself as, a, as an immigrant or something. No. I mean, uh, the, the question I, I asked uh, to Vasily Petrenko, and it's a subject I've talked about with Andrus Nelsons, because they both grew up in Soviet times, and they both said yeah. to me that, you know, regardless of the politics, you know, we never, we never discussed the rights and wrongs of the politics. What they both said was they felt that their musical education was wonderful. Yeah, it was um, very strong, yeah. Yeah, very strong compared to, you know, if you look at how music is taught in the UK now, you know, I mean, they barely, mm. barely touch music at all. Uh, would you, would, so you, you agree that it was wonderful? Yeah, I completely agree. And I, yeah. that's why I say I'm, I consider myself as a lucky uh, a person to have experienced that system, which was great. I mean, not every conductor today has, a, uh, has an opportunity of com coming three times a week and, and conducting symphonies with two professional companies yeah. sitting well. on the right and on the left. Yeah. Uh, from you and your teacher sitting in the middle and saying, you know, you forgot to give an entrance to trombones and uh, your your right hand uh, uh, is not flexible enough and things like that, you know. But mm. that's that's how we we we've learned conducting. And who was that? Who was that conducting teacher? Well, I had several. I have to, I had two teachers in Kiev. Um, yeah. My uh, um, um, teacher for s symphonic conducting was Roman Kaufman. He's still alive. He's in his 80s now. He's uh, an important conductor. Um, his last position, he was music director in Bonn of the opera and, and Beethoven uh, yeah. Orchestra in Bonn. And, and at the same time, I studied with a uh, with, um, uh, very famous choral conductor in Ukraine, in Soviet Union, called Lev Vinidiktov. He was um, chief chorus master of the National Opera of the Ukraine. Mm. Um, he passed away, unfortunately, several years ago. Uh, so these were my two teachers. So I, I went to both of them at the same time and studied orchestral and choral repertoire. Yeah, and and did they have a a, a set set of values? I suppose what I'm trying to get at, get at is were they at all influenced in the great conducting school of somebody like Musin, or were they separate from that? Well, they were separate, but at the same time, you know, Mustin for us was a was an example, and I've read all his books, and uh, this was something I always uh, kept uh, close to myself, mm -hmm. uh, his ideas and how he taught his students. But I think the the way how I learned conducting in music was uh, probably a little less pragmatic. I mean, in a good uh, I'm not saying Musin was pragmatic, but he was a pedantic. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah It's yeah. very, very typical sort of uh, uh, Saint Petersburg uh, 
tradition uh, which which goes back to Rimsky Korsakov. <laughs> he was yeah. very pedantic. <laughs> uh, so he, he's he's sort of uh, analyzing every little detail and. Uh, um, I think my conducting in general was a little more emotional. Yes. Yeah. Uh, in a way, I didn't spend. Well, we did. We did talk and and concentrate on technical aspects of conducting, but but it was mostly sort of educate emotional education towards music, yeah. how music should sound, or how it should not sound, uh, and uh, um, it was a more 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 emotional approach, I think. So I think. yeah, how you can impact on the emotional. Uh, yeah. emotional qualities of the music rather than just you know your wrist needs to do this yes. your fingers need to do that yeah exactly 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 yeah and so you were a pianist is that right um and also composer yes, I play. well yeah i did a little bit uh, <laughs> uh, when i was 16 15 yeah. 16 um yes and i and i studied piano i was actually quite good yeah um i played uh Last, uh, I mean, the last big thing I played uh, school was Achmanov's second piano concerto. I practiced uh, a lot. I think quite yeah, good. I think quite good is is uh, you know doing doing yourself down there if you mm. can play Achmanov's mm. second piano concerto. <laughs> yeah, <that's... laughs> yeah, yeah, I did, I did, but but my my sight reading wasn't great. Uh, right. So uh, when I went, because um, uh, I I continued my studies in Vienna. Uh, being in the third year of, of Kiev Music Academy, I, I combined that with Vienna as well. Uh, and um, I, I thought that, um, that sight reading knowledge of most, most of the conductors in Vienna was better than mine. And so, you, as you said, you went to the Vienna Music Hochschule and yes. you were just conducting or were you also um, piano as well? Uh, well, I was specialized in conducting. Yeah, and who was teaching you? Uros Lajevic, mm. who is uh, now retired, but he's uh, he was uh, he is the student of uh, famous Hans Swarovski. Oh, of course, yes, that uh, famous class with yes. Mater and Abado and people. Yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So, yeah. so uh, my my situation was ra rather um, exceptional, I think. You know, so I was studying in both music academies, yeah. and uh, on top of this, uh, I by pure accident won the position uh, of as an assistant conductor in Budapest, the Budapest Festival Orchestra uh, and Ivan Fischer. And yeah. so I basically lived in Budapest and whenever I had a free day or two or three, I went to either Kiev or Vienna to, to sort of show up my class. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to picture those Budapest is sort of, is it, is it sort of halfway between Vienna and Kiev? Yeah, yes, it's closer yeah. to Vienna, of course, but yes, uh, yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I knew, I knew uh, the, the, at that time, uh, this was still a uh, Malif Hungarian Airlines, the, oh. uh, the, the company, I knew uh, all the hostesses by name, <laughs> 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 it was really funny, but you know, it was great, it was yeah. great because uh, I, uh, you know, I was still in my student years, but at the same time I was experiencing already some independence. I'm intrigued because one of the 10 questions later is who would be a favorite current conductor and quite a few people now have mentioned Ivan Fischer. So what was it like working with 
the Budapest Festival Orchestra and Ivan Fischer. Did you learn a lot from him, or was he? Were yes. you? Yes. I mean, uh, we. I mean, it, it, I did learn a lot, but um, uh, what I learned from him was more uh, um, kind of um, practical approach to the yeah. orchestra. Because my 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 job was uh, to uh, basically sit and listen mm. most of the time. That's what he wanted. He wanted to have uh, somebody who is uh, controlling the balance, who is uh, giving you know, feedbacks to, to his performances. And he always wanted um, to know what, to my opinion, didn't work well, even in Tempe. Uh, and and, and uh, he liked to discuss, you know, if I thought some things should have been different, he liked to go in and discuss this because mm. I think probably it gave him also an, a feedback to, uh, to what he was doing. So that was... Uh, it was interesting. I mean, the the, the um, how he chose us was also a very strange, uh, uh, unusual circumstances. You know, he conducted the orchestra, and then he asked. It was still Olinspiegel, and then he asked us. I think there were four of us uh, mm -hmm. that day, um, and then he asked. So what was wrong? <laughs> did did orchestra make any mistakes, or what? What did you What did you notice? Yeah. Which was uh, kind of, you know, he conducted the piece, so basically you had to criticize him mm. and then tell what wasn't, and you didn't, you, you didn't know was it on purpose or, uh, or not, or, you know, it was very, very unusual how he did it. But, but he was smart because that's, that's what he needed. He needed to have a critical ears uh, listening and, and saying, giving feedback all the time. Well, I mean, that's that's the role that you take on when you do that. And it's not something that we, I've really talked about on the podcast. Uh, we've talked about, obviously, people have had jobs as an assistant, but mm. not really talked about that role. And, you know, I used to do it at the CBSO for operatic projects with Andres Nelsons mm. and with Zachary Oromo. And my colleagues mm. would see me sitting out in the audience and say, oh, you've got a really easy week this week. You're just sitting there listening. And it's, <laughs> it's not easy at all it's because, no, no. because you have to listen to the balance all of the time, give notes, but mm. also, as you say, sometimes criticise the music director who you know, yeah. will ask you direct questions. It's not easy, is it? No, no, of course it's not easy. But, but you know, I understood from the very first moment that's what Ivan wants me to do. Yes. He wants, yeah. uh, and, and I understand this really well now, when, when I happen to work with, with younger conductors who um, sort of assist, uh, that's exactly what I'm asking them. I'm asking them mm. to give me as many notes as they can uh, and, and criticize as much as they can, because this gives you uh, uh, the greatest feedback. Yeah, um, it's, it's not it's not it's not the it's not the the good things that you know make you rethink or understand uh, about what you're doing. If somebody's just saying it was great and fantastic, what you want is critic. You want real, real uh, critical uh, point of view. And also, when you know when you're doing that, it trains your ear to listen harder and and oh, yeah. uh, and, and work out what the problems are for when you grow up in inverted commas and become a conductor yourself i mean that's yeah you know. but also when you when you stand on the podium you have so many other things that you need to control or take care of yes. so sometimes you you just can't you can't uh, you know hear everything uh, and, and that's why uh, assistant conductor is so important uh, especially if it's a big orchestra or 
uh, if the acoustic uh, acoustical situation needs some adjustment or you have singers or whatever then of course it's so important to have somebody in the hall mm. um, so after budapest and i'm assuming around the same time you would have finished your studies in vienna mm -hmm. you were yeah. out into the big wide world were you taking part in competitions or were you just going out and starting guest conducting and, and working that way well, you know, after two music academies and uh, choral orchestral conducting, several teachers and an assistantship with Ivan Fischer, which was very nice. And uh, it was um, one year first uh, and then uh, it was another year and then it was another year. So I spent mm. three years, um, three great years traveling with the orchestra and doing all sorts of things, you know, assisting um, recordings, rehearsals. Uh, even playing uh, Celeste and Petrushka and, and uh -huh. I even played a triangle, uh, the recording of uh, uh, Slavonic dances once. So <laughs> <laughs> doing all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and then I thought, wow, you know, I will be sitting at home and uh, everybody will be proposing me stuff and I will be choosing what, what I want to do and what I don't want to do <laughs> after all this. But it wasn't quite that, you know, I finished uh, Kiev, uh, finished Vienna and then Budapest came to the end. And then I suddenly realized, well, nobody's calling me. <laughs> I <laughs> yes. don't have an agent. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, hmm. That's not quite what I thought it would be, but uh, okay. So I started doing competitions yeah. and some of them were successful, some of them less. Um, and I started um, to write a doctoral um, like thesis you know, on, uh, on the um, fascinating topic, which I never finished. Uh, it was the, the, um, the, the newly discovered passions of C.P. Bach okay. that were discovered in Kiev. Uh, but then um, uh, I, had, I was lucky to unexpectedly win uh, competition in Paris uh, for for the radio orchestra and become associate conductor. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't the same as an assistant conductor because I had real dates of conducting. Yes. But um, it was also by by pure accident. I came here and I won. I was, I think, the only candidate who didn't speak French. <laughs> um, and they've chosen me out of uh, I don't know ninety or one or one hundred conductors who applied. Wow! So so that was a big change. A uh, huge change for for me, um, and I moved to Paris, and um, and it was in two thousand two, and since then I'm based here. And I had the three years in, with uh, with the Orchestre Philharmonique, then I became um, principal guest conductor in Strasbourg. Immediately after that, also uh, when when I won the competition in Paris, I I uh, had the proposition from uh, Harrison Parrott and uh, Jenny Spencer, who was my manager for 13 years. Um, we started collaborating, so that was a big change as well. Uh, and then um, in 2008, I came as a guest conductor and, and was offered the job with Bournemouth chief conductor. Well, Bournemouth was going to be my next place, but to to go to, um, but uh, I, I'm interested to know about working in France and that time, mm. you know, whilst you were 
working with the Philharmonic de Radio France and also in Strasbourg. Mm. I'm assuming you were guesting as well um, around the place. Yes, I started uh, guesting. I started guesting, not immediately, um, yeah. but I, I started guesting in France. Uh, I started going to French orchestras and then slowly, slowly um, developing uh, guest conducting uh, yeah. um, around Europe and then America and then were busy years, really busy years. Yeah, well, that, that's something I've talked about here on on the podcast quite a lot. Is that um, the phrase I've used is the hamster wheel of conducting, and I've used it because hamsters mm. like going on the wheel. So, mm. um, but it, it's sometimes difficult to get off. Um, I'm assuming that that's where somebody like Harrison Parrot, um, the agency, will will guide you and say to you, "Well, yeah, well, we think you should take this concert on. We shouldn't. We don't think you should do that piece." Uh, how were they for you in that regard? Um, you know, I was um, uh, offered this this uh, collaboration with them, and uh, the the person who was taking care of me, she she uh, she's really an expert on uh, young conductors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so she knew exactly. Uh, I mean, not only young conductors, but uh, she knew exactly how to. Um, how to start uh, and, and what to do with the young, uh, crazy, ambitious conductor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like exactly. I was. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why I asked because that first relationship with your first manager, when as a young conductor, I mean, I wasn't young. I was thirty-five when I started in this business. But mm. you know, you're voracious. You want to conduct all the time. You know, you want to know why am I yeah. not working? Why am I not going there? Why yeah. is he or she going there and I'm not going there? And and you exactly. do need an arm around you to just say, hey, come on, calm down. You're doing okay. And, well, yes, you you need many 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 things uh, yeah. uh, coming from your agent. You you just sometimes. Sometimes you even need to be for, need to be forced in doing things that you think you wouldn't do or you don't want to do. Yeah. Even yeah. you know, I, I even come to this conclusion looking back. Yeah. Um, of course, of course, this st- strategy uh, is not going to work forever because uh, after some time you need another strategy. When you're starting to be more experienced and you've tried this and you've tried that, then you need another approach and then maybe a couple of years later you need again another approach well that's where where the the managers that's why we need them well you mentioned it earlier on bournemouth and that really has been orchestrally at least the major love of your life. You've been there 11 years and, and counting yeah. and carrying on. So when you first went there, what was it like? Did you have, I mean, in a very recent podcast, we talked about, you know, meeting orchestras for the first time. And sometimes because you're guest conducting, it can feel like a blind date or speed dating. And then mm. sometimes you can walk in the room and you put a damn beat down and think, oh, wow. This is fun. Mm. I really like this. Mm. How was it with Bournemouth that when you yes, first met? Yes, it was them? exactly. It was exactly that. You know, I wasn't when I was invited there. I wasn't sure where I'm going. Mm. Where, where I mean, I, it was my first visit to the UK, and, and Bournemouth is not necessarily the, the most famous place for a foreigner. Uh, <laughs> no. You know, so I, I wasn't. I wasn't sure where I'm going, and why am I doing this? Uh, it was Tchaikovsky's Sixth Symphony, and. And I thought, oh my God, you know, when I arrived, uh, I mean, it's it's one of the most beautiful uh, areas in the UK. I know mm. this now, but when I arrived, 
lighthouse is located uh, just next to the bus station and I didn't even <laughs> know there was a harbor mm. uh, which is the second largest uh, natural harbor after Sydney mm. in the world. I didn't know this of course I only saw the buses coming and going and, and the, the, the gray lighthouse mm. so I even thought oh god you know why 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 have I accepted this what am I doing here and then um, I came to the first rehearsal and it was just uh, unbelievably smooth and easy. And, and I was uh, amazed by the quality of the orchestra, how, how well and how open-minded they were and how well they responded to what I, I was doing. I mean, Tchaikovsky 6, they knew really well. And, and British orchestras, as we know, they are famous for, for playing really, really well if they know something. Mm. And then... If, if they don't know, they can sound a bit lost or unsecure. But if they know something and then uh, the conductor has something to, to say or to offer or uh, has some ideas, they can follow, you know, and, and you even don't need to show it. You can think and they do it. They mm. have an amazing quality of following the conductor. So that's, that's how I felt. Um, and I remember... Uh, Every time I came to a new orchestra, I liked very much, and I still do, a little less than, than 10 years ago, but mm. I still like to play uh, the symphony through the very first moment I, I come to an, to an orchestra and I've never worked before. Because, mm. you know, I just want to have a feel of what, what these people can do and how they react and what is my sort of uh, position with them. And that could give you, uh, if you play something through, even if it's not perfect, it gives you immediately a feeling of, of where you are. Yes. So that's what happened. I played Tchaikovsky 6 from the first to the last bar. And, and, and I know this, that orchestra hate doing this. <laughs> Most of the orchestras I've worked with, they hate this. Yes. Because they, they know the piece and all they want is to know what, what the conductor wants and, and they will do it. They don't want to to work hard on Monday morning, mm. uh, basically. But that orchestra, you know, they, there was no, uh, nothing negative at all. And, you know, we played it in, and uh, I even asked principal players, was this okay? And they said, oh yeah, of course, you know, we'll just do whatever you want. It's your mm. rehearsal. Mm. Yeah, and then, and then it just, just happened. You know, the concerts were great. Uh, uh, every concert was better than the, the previous one. Uh, and uh, I came again a uh, couple of months later, uh, doing two programs in the same week. Which you would never do anywhere. You'd no. never do anywhere else. But in the UK, no, you no. know, that's fine. No, <laughs> no, but that's a typical thing, you know, UK orchestras do. Yes. So that that's probably what they wanted to see if I can survive doing two different <laughs> programs within the rehearsing three days or yeah. two days. Yeah, and then they offered me the job. Uh, I'm going to go on and, and find out what it what it's what it's been like because Bournemouth, I've I've been there quite a few times and conducted there, and I love them. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask you about their character. But there's something you said right at the beginning there, which I found I find very interesting. Um, you know, when you go and guest conduct somewhere for the first time, this is an incredibly similar story to what Andrew Litton told in episode two of this podcast, where he talked about flying to Bergen in Norway, waking up and it was raining. He looked outside and thought, what am I doing here? You know, you've talked about the Lighthouse Concert Hall in Poole is right next door to the bus station. It's sort of 70s mm. concrete. 
It's very grimy. Yeah. You know, you could walk there. Like I, I walked there for the first time from my hotel last year, and I thought, oh, I've never been to the concert hall. I thought, oh, wow. Um, but <laughs> it, it, it doesn't matter what the surroundings are. If you put that downbeat down and something miraculous yeah. happens and a spark happens, you know, you, you forget yeah. all of that. Um, but yeah, it's a very similar story in the in in that regard. If, you know, you, on your way to the venue, you think, "Well, where is this place? What am I doing here?" You know, I, I've, a couple of times that's happened to me. What is interesting about Bournemouth is the energy within that orchestra. That maybe it's because of where, as you've said, you know, where it is in the UK. It's you know quite a long way from London. It's down in the yeah. southwest. They've got a lot of people to serve and to play for down there. They do a lot of coach travel to places like Exeter and Truro. Oh, yeah. Pitchester, there's a lot of time on the Absolutely, road. Absolutely, yeah. Do you, do you find that sort of, that energy is, is peculiar to them? That, that their approach, you know, that, uh, the, I mean, it's a wonderful energy. I've, uh, whenever I've worked with that orchestra, um, in yeah. fact, hopefully next year I'm supposed to be going there three times, but, you know, hey-ho, oh, fingers, fingers crossed. Um, but, yeah, do, what, do you, what do you think about that? Do you think it, because of where they are, they have this different energy and approach? You know, there's still uh, some aspects of, of that orchestra that I, I just don't understand how it functions. It still re remains a miracle to me. Mm. And, uh, um, you know, I, I, I understand that uh, the area where they are, it's not a big city. So mm. they've had uh, difficult times uh, um, financially, uh, very difficult times. Um, because they basically are located between cities, so they have to go and look for audiences. Mm. And um, I don't know, there is also maybe an, an element of uh, trying to prove to themselves and to the others that they are good, mm. as good as any British orchestra. Maybe it's this. Also, there is a tradition there. I, I think they've uh, people that I've spoken to and, and all some conductors you know from the past they've always said this about about them they're just open-minded mm -hmm. uh, there is very little routine there when you when you come with fresh ideas and you want to do something different than them you could they always let you do that mm. I've, I've heard this from many many people so there must be also an element of of, of tradition there um, and hard work, very hard work. You know, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know another orchestra that travels as much as they do. Yeah, and uh, it's, and it's journey to Bristol yeah. is a three, hour, three and a half hour uh, coach journey. Yeah, concert yeah. and then back. Yeah, and the back, next back, day back. they yeah. might go to Exeter, another three and a half hour journey, mm. and then back again yeah. on Friday. And, and, and on Saturday they may do uh, an, another program with the with one afternoon rehearsal in the in the Bournemouth Pavilion with yeah. a different conductor and different repertoire. Yeah. Um, so so they work really hard, really yeah. hard. Yeah, so it's a very valid point. I mean, that that really is. I've done both of those with the Bournemouth. I've done a, a mini mm. tour of the Southwest of doing Exeter and Chichester and Portsmouth yeah. and Plymouth. But I've also been the conductor who's come in on a Saturday yeah, pavilion and done one of those three-hour rehearsal and concerts, and I never. Yeah, it's difficult. It's it difficult. is, but I've never felt them tired. I'm, it, it, yeah. Sometimes they say to me, "Oh, well, the week we've had," but they don't. They never sound tired. They always sound up for it and ready. And that—that's. I mean, that's why I enjoy going back. But yeah, yes. they, they do work extremely hard. Yes, and they they do have amazing qualities. You know, mm. we've done some projects with them. You know, oh, 
you know, when I think back, you know, that Salome uh, a couple of years ago, which we brought to Symphony Hall, actually, mm. that was amazing how they've, uh, what, what, what they were doing. And, and it's not the, the piece they, they know. No. Uh, um, or, you know, we've done a couple of memorable cycles, uh, or the Prokofiev Symphony cycle. That was really something. Also, with, with my first Beethoven cycle, I mean, that's one of the first things I've, I've proposed uh, is to do a Beethoven symphony cycle. Um, and I think we just, we just found each other somehow. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I offered them something slightly different from what they've been doing before. And they went with it and then they liked it. Mm-hmm. That, that's it. That, that, that was the... With Prokofiev, it was a bit different because no, I mean, except Symphony 5 and maybe 1. They yeah. haven't done any any of the other ones, um, but they're great, and and they discovered this music, and they were grateful for for me br- bringing this uh, new music to them, mm. and it just was memorable, memorable. Well, here here to the Bournemouth Symphony Orchestra, and um, and uh, I look forward to seeing them uh, seeing them soon. You mentioned Salome, and opera was the next place I'm going to go. You share in common with somebody else I've interviewed uh, for this podcast the job that you had it, between 2016 and 2019. You were general music director mm-hmm. of Staatskapelle Weimar, which was exactly yeah. the same job that Jack Van Steen had. Um, yes. He, yeah, he was talking to, to me uh, and told us all about the amount of time he spent in meetings rather than actually conducting opera and, and because yeah. of the fact that you're the music director for the whole city. How did you find that role? Because I know it's a much different role from, say, Bournemouth. Yes, it was, a, it was an interesting experience mm. um, overall, really, really interesting. I mean, just, just the, the position of a conductor yeah. Uh, there is is uh, is something totally different, and the the amount of rehearsals, and the amount of uh, of work that you are uh, contractually obliged to do is 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 huge. But it, it was it was really really interesting to discover some of the. Um, I mean, it's still very much East Germany, okay. there, and, yeah. and they they do have amazing uh, musical tradition there. So just to just to be close to that and, and to sort of understand a little bit how how they think these people and how they actually make music was was very was very very interesting mm. and I'm still sort of under impression of, of that yeah a lot unfortunately staying there more than three years was unrealistic because uh, you know in my last season there I've counted I conducted uh, ninety evenings. Uh, oh, wow! Yeah. One season, uh, yeah. and uh, so three new opera productions, um, uh, two uh, two tours in America within one season. Wow! Uh, and this doesn't doesn't include the rehearsals, of course. Of in course, Weimar, yeah. they've got huge amount of rehearsals. You know, they've got all the stage orchestras for each opera production, and then uh, the orchestra loans, and and then oh. It's it's really full uh, full package of each time, which is not count, but ninety uh, evenings. Yeah. That's, yeah. That, that's so crazy. So it just couldn't. Mm. Yeah, it couldn't. It couldn't. Um, I mean, I did it because I sort of I was in it, but yeah. uh, but I I just couldn't continue this because it was uh, you also for health reasons. It was yes, impossible. Well, I mean, let alone the travelling between 
Yeah, oh, yeah. Your home base in Paris, your your job in Bournemouth, which, you know, has, you know, a, a commitment of seven yeah. weeks per year. And then 90 boards is plus rehearsals, plus meetings, plus everything else in Weimar. That something eventually has to give, I suppose. Um, yes, you yeah. know, plus you, you want to do interesting guest conducting. And, mm. and, 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 and of course, you, there's only 24 uh, hours a day <laughs> and you know at the end of the day it's not a marathon you're not you're not uh, you're not running marathon all the time no. you, you have to you have to find a way how to enjoy it not only being under pressure of, of you know fulfilling the commitments that you have uh, that you have it's not only that but unfortunately that's i think for all of us uh, yeah. we can very easily find ourselves in, in this circle in, in which you're just turning uh, like in, in, in a circus mm. and, and you can't get out of it. You either get out of it completely, you can't put one uh, foot out and then the other one remains in. You have to <laughs> either do it or not. It leads on, interestingly enough, to the subject which I've asked every conductor, which is about score preparation and learning. Mm. And, you know, if you're that busy, you must have had or you must still have a method of approaching a new score. Um, how do you go about learning a new score? Uh, do you use the piano at all? And when you learn a new score, are you somebody who writes a lot of instructions into your score, or are you somebody who keeps them clean? Well, it depends, really. I, I don't have one method which I'm using for all situations. Uh, I sometimes, sometimes I do mark scores. Uh, sometimes I keep them completely clean. Mm. Um, my approach, uh, my sort of personal uh, approach on score learning is I, I try to, you know, study as much as I can. But then uh, when I come and, and, and rehearse for the first time, I don't want to have the decision uh, made before that first rehearsal mm, yeah. I want I want to make them uh, with the orchestra when I'm there mm. that's my that's my personal sometimes it can be very dangerous especially in Germany <laughs> mm. because all they want is is, is, is uh, very identified ideas of how things should be yes uh, but um, I somehow it's it's not natural for me to do this I mean I can but then I feel I'm, I'm I'm completely missing out because music is uh, 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 is not a stone house. Mm. You, you, uh, it, it is at the end, of course. But when you build it, you need to have flexibility and react because it's it's a human communication. You don't yes. know how humans are going to behave in certain situations and what works better. Or and and I want to always have the best decisions taken. I don't mm. want to decide something and then do it and then realize oh you know i should have done it differently i want to always have the chance to improve things if i feel that you know what i mean yes so even yeah. in the concept yeah. yeah. even in the concept if i suddenly feel that that's the way of, of doing it i want to have the flexibility of, of doing the best choosing the best option yeah. and not having said something or identified something that doesn't change anymore mm. No, I, I think but, that's right. But you know, yeah, one yeah. one piece one piece is different from the other ones. You know, some uh, especially in Germanic music, we know we know that uh, some of it can only work if you do decide, and if you say who should play louder and who should play softer and what articulation should be used. 
uh, you have to do this otherwise the piece is just going to fall apart and sound um sound very very uh sort of disorganized in a way mm -hmm. but in some music uh in some symphonic music you don't need this you can basically improvise with the orchestra all the time yeah i love that i, lo I love you. i also love your metaphor of a stone house because it made me think you know every time we let's say we're conducting a symphony we know we're going to build a stone house as you said it has mm. to be like that at the end but maybe during the process we can decide where the windows go and we can decide yeah, yeah. how big the rooms are inside and we can decide whether it's two stories or three stories but you know, yeah exactly yeah exactly. I, I like that metaphor very much I, if you don't mind i might steal it <laughs> <laughs> please please do <laughs> It is 10 questions time, Kirill, and with everybody else, um, I start with the first two. What sound or noise do you love, and what sound or noise do you hate? You know, I, I like all the natural sounds, like the, the sound of the wind, the sound of the sea. This mm. I can listen uh, um, as, as, as long as, you know. Um, I, I, I get tired of... Uh, of, of sounds like drilling or people shouting or mm. um, anything that doesn't come from from the nature if you had 24 hours free what would you spend it doing i um i like the the idea of not having any obligation not being under time pressure mm, that's uh, so of true. course after after having spent you know nearly four months at home now it's i feel a bit different yeah uh, <laughs> but uh but still still you know i i think it's the most relaxing feeling when you can just do whatever you want and it, it doesn't uh um you know you're not late anywhere you can just stand in front of your room for two hours and think about something and mm. you know well you've got no um sort of um no plan yeah. That 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 I find the most relaxing is when you don't have to think what you are doing, what you what what is your next action, or what do you need to do at certain time. Uh, I I agree, and and I'm not, it's not really something that's come on the podcast very much is the fact that how much our lives are dominated by times, appointments, how long a rehearsal yeah. has to be, because if you don't go over the, the yeah, musicians' union, tell you course. off. You know, everything that we do is structured by time, and to suddenly. Now I I love yeah. a, I love watches and wristwatches and clocks and whatever else. In the last yeah, ten, or, ten or eleven weeks, I've not worn one because I've not needed to, <laughs> and it's very free. You know, it's very free. Who would be a favourite conductor of yesteryear? You know, I don't really have a favourite conductor. I, I think uh, you know every conductor uh, has ups and downs. You know, there's mm. no uh, I can't I can't say you know Carlos Kleiber is the um, is my favorite because some of the things I like a little bit less than the others, mm. and then uh, maybe John Elliott. Uh, I, I like some of his ideas, but some other ones I feel I would have done differently. Mm. So, so it, 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 for me, it really depends on the piece. If yes. you ask me what is your favorite uh, Beethoven symphony cycle, I maybe well, even not the cycle, maybe. Beethoven five or yeah. something. Maybe I can I can tell you what is my favorite version, but I can't I can't really say this about conductors. Maybe uh, I mean be honest. I mean my favorite conductors would be my teachers. Maybe in some ways. 
Yeah. They've, they've influenced me and uh, I feel, uh, you know, that I'm a product made of their ideas. So, but I, I can't say, I, I don't really have a, 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 a person like that, just one that I can mention to you. And would that be the same with current conductors? Yes, I think, you know, everybody, everybody has something that, that I like. And then there is always something that I feel I would have, I would have done differently. Mm. Um, so it's very difficult for me to, to just name one person, really. What is the hardest work you have ever conducted? Beethoven Thieves. Why? Well, it's sort of you have it in your head. Uh, but then, when you come as a con when you approach the work as a conductor, mm -hmm. you you get stuck in the first three bars. <laughs> I mean, how do you con how on earth do you conduct it? Mm. Do you take off the first formata? Do you continue straight into the into the uh, next one? Or I mean, how do you? Uh, so if you take time, it's not what's written because there is only one eight uh, note rest there. Yes, yeah. Uh, but if you if you go straight into it, then you risk to, to lose that rest. So mm. how, how do you uh, how do you find a solution to this, technically and musically? Yeah. That was the hardest hardest thing I've ever had to uh, sort of decide because there's so many ways of how you can do it. Yeah. But you need to come uh, and and it's not something you can do different every time. No, uh, no, you, no it you, isn't. With yeah. an orchestra, because you have to have a very very clear idea how you do. So that was definitely the hardest piece I've ever done. And well, I I have seen well, in my old job as a player with the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra, you know, I've seen probably fifteen people conduct that opening of that symphony over the year, over the twenty-two mm. years I played in the orchestra. And you're mm. right; if you don't know what you're going to do before you start conducting that piece, it can very easily fall apart. And and people can listen to this and think and say, "What Beethoven Five can fall apart?" And I can tell you now. Yeah. It can, yeah. um, because it's it, those first seven or eight bars are one of the hardest things you ever have to conduct. You have to conduct it with conviction, yeah. you have to know, and it can take you months beforehand to decide, as, as you just oh, yeah. said, Kirill, you know, where will there be, do you cut the first pause off? Do you cut the second pause off and there be a gap? It, how do you mm. cut it off? How do you cut it off so that yeah. people don't come in a bar early? Exactly. And it's, yeah, it's exactly. So yeah. That's uh. exactly what I'm what I'm saying. But this yeah. is only the beginning. I know. But then it goes on. <laughs> yeah. Then it goes on. What do you do with the What do you do with the da capo or, or not da capo in the, in the third movement? Do you repeat it again or not? Do you? Yes. I mean, which bowings you use? Do you Do you use the original slurs in the score and you consider them as bowings or? in the last movement especially or yeah, do yeah. you do you think it's just an indication of how the phrase should go and, and they can bow it the way they want all of these things are just difficult because yeah. they and and but this is only i'm talking about just sort of deciding what what you what you um i would probably say it like this what you don't want mm. is, is it should be your decision you should start from uh what what you think is wrong and then you, by doing this, you can come to the right uh, solution for yourself. Mm. Um, but then the human element comes uh, into the play when you start conducting it with people because they all have different ideas. Do you use one bow on the first pause? Or do <laughs> yeah. you change? Do you do yeah. ba -ba -ba -ba? Yeah. If you use one bow, then it, it will diminuendo. 
do you diminuendo or do you keep the, the tension and and change the ball yeah it's, how, oh, it's how do, the questions you know? are the questions are, are are completely endless um yeah it is endless yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. every bar every bar has has this sort of questions and yeah. nobody can answer them for you when you stand there on the podium you, you need to know you need to answer it might be wrong Mm. Or what is wrong and right? I mean, this is another subject. Uh, um, what is wrong and right in music? Is mm. there something that can be considered wrong or right? Or um, we are talking only about music that convinces you and not convinces you. That's mm. uh, another subject. But yeah, so, but I mean, uh, that was de definitely, I mean, uh, in, in, in all, um, also physically to conduct it yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, from the beginning to the end. Mm. It's quite challenging because um, you can't cheat anywhere. You have to be in it 100% mm. all the time. Yeah, yeah. You, the, first anyway. movement, the first movement alone is really quite physical. Um, yeah. Because, you know, if, yeah. You want, if you want it to drive and if you want it to have that feeling of anger that feeling of well, whatever it is that you want to put into it you have to drive it you can't you can't yeah you drive enjoy it, it yeah, yeah it's, it's you hard. need to mm. and and the orchestra can't do this on their own no exactly they, they no. need no. they need to have a very very strong sort of emotional impact from you mm. and uh you can't cheat you just can't stand stand there and and listen and uh you know sort of be an observer of, of the process you can't you have to you have to lead it you have to guide it when traveling abroad to conduct what item could you not leave home without i don't have that you know i can leave without anything mm. well, that's and, good that's good for you yeah. <laughs> well especially because um, you said you, you you can conduct scores with which are blank so you could even leave scores at home which is you know most yeah, of us, I mean, yeah. if I had to spend uh, time, you know, I would probably like, I mean, you said no telephone, but I mean, I would like to have my iPad with me where I have scores, yeah. books, things, you know, yeah. where I can read and, uh, but even without it, I, I think I would probably find something to do just, or just think and dream and, mm. you know, whatever. So I, I really don't have, I don't have a, an, an object that I'm, I'm carrying with me all the time. What is the one thing you would change about being a conductor? Um, I mean, I would probably wish, uh, as a conductor, I would wish that our music making process with orchestras would be more natural. Because sometimes mm -hmm. conductors have to uh, put a mask on or to behave in a certain unnatural way in order to get a result from an orchestra. <laughs> That's um, true. That's very true. And so you have to sort of teach yourself how to change the role of being yourself and being some something else, uh, which I find extremely difficult because, um, you know, when you, the reason why I be, became a conductor is because I just, I was fascinated by this music making process with people. Mm. And, uh, and, and when when this this process requires me to become somebody else who I'm not, then it changes my um, my reaction. It changes my spontaneity. It changes my my feelings inside when when music actually happens. So I wish that that orchestras would consider conductors consider and respect conductors without us doing 
anything on purpose, you know, to make them do something. Yeah, I understand the answer, and I think everybody will. That you know, sometimes they expect you to be to act in a certain way, to behave in a yeah. certain way, to do things in a certain way, which are un, which is unnatural to you. Um, when you, you know, you'd rather do, you'd rather just be you and do it your way. You know, that's yes, and I, I personally, I, I, I struggle doing these things. Uh, that's probably the most difficult aspect of this job for me is, is when, when I need to become somebody who I am not. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Sometimes, you know, in, in bad moments, I think what, what other job could I do if, if I had to uh, stop conducting? Mm. Sometimes I think I could be a taxi driver or something like that. <laughs> or if I have a GPS, yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> you've got to know where you're going. I mean, if you tell me now I need to change and quit and, and stop conducting. It doesn't really matter what I do mm. because that's that's that wouldn't be my choice. I I like conducting and I I, I that's that was my choice from from my childhood. So if I had to you know become a, a tourist guide or <laughs> uh, or something like that, I would be yeah I would be alright. Okay, but it wouldn't be my choice again. If the world were to end tonight, what would be your choice of final meal and drink? There's a place where I go very often and uh, it's on the other side of, of the city from where I live. I live in the south and then mm. this is uh, almost in the north. There's a place uh, that sells uh, um, uh, grilled chicken, oh, um, which you can take away. Mm. But it's just amazing. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It's called Boucherie Fillon. Mm. So I'm going, I'm spending 25 minutes, um, sometimes I even cycle there, mm. um, but that's, that's the place I, I go very, very regular, I'm very regular there, because I just like how they, what spices they put, they, they've got a secret of how they, um, how they prepare it, it's just amazing, so I would probably have my last piece of chicken, grilled chicken, mm. with a nice glass of Bordeaux. Oh, lovely, yeah. That sounds like a very nice final meal to have. Kirill, it's been wonderful. I really, really enjoyed our chat. Thank you, Mike. Yeah. And I hope to see you soon. Absolutely. The same for me. Thank you for talking to me. And, uh, hope to meet you soon. A mic on the podium was devised and produced by Michael Seal with music by Ben Dawson. Next time, I chat to an English conductor who, like me, spent a long time as an orchestral player but is now enjoying a very successful conducting career in the UK and beyond. Until then, bye-bye.